The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York City, and here is your top five at five. Call it a week-long whiplash. The markets nearing their worst week in more than two years. Rates, the Fed, and Vladimir Putin, the big reasons. Down more than $100 a share. Netflix getting crushed and on track for its worst day in more than a decade. Even worse, Peloton, down 130 bucks in a year and hit on a CNBC report about a possible production halt. Now the company is firing back. Happening right now, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken facing more tough negotiations with his Moscow counterpart. This as Russia readies its troops on the Ukrainian border. And another crypto crumble underway as Bitcoin falls back below 40K. It is Friday, January 21st, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Friday, I guess. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's jump right in in what has been a very busy week already. And stock futures, they are, with all the selling this week, holding steady right now, they are mixed. In fact, we are seeing very slight gains for Dow futures, the NASDAQ, though, is what everybody is watching, and their futures are down again, off about one-half of 1%. All this coming off a very poor showing for stocks on Thursday. Markets did have some pretty good gains most of the day, and then the sellers came in. A lot of selling programs, and we ended lower. The Dow closing below its 200-day moving average for the first time since December 1st. The S&P and NASDAQ down more than 38 and 4.9% this week respectively, and that puts both those indexes on pace for their worst weeks since October of 2020. Here's a pretty random but interesting stat from Truist Keith Lerner. A 5.5% pullback for the S&P 500 from the early January peak is now deeper than the sharpest correction that we had all of last year. In other words, we have done more damage in the S&P 500 in, what, three weeks than we did at any point, all of 2021. Wow, thank you, Keith. All right, let's check bonds now because they have certainly been a big part, maybe the part of this story. The benchmark 10-year yield actually lower right now, down below 1.8%. Coming up later in the show, we're going to show you the impact that recent move is having on mortgage rates. And I'll give you a hint. It's a lot, but right now, We've got U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who is meeting with his Russian counterpart, Foreign Secretary Sergei Lavrov in Geneva, the face-to-face meeting following Blinken's series of meetings in Kiev and Berlin earlier this week. This also comes as Russia continues to build up its troop presence on the Ukrainian border, and President Biden forced to clarify he made comments that he made Wednesday in his press conference. Let us listen in to this meeting between U.S. Secretary of State Blinken 
and Sergei Lavrov. State Secretary, colleagues, we are very grateful to you for this proposal to hold talks in Geneva in the context of the work that was started on the security guarantees. Четко прояснить наши озабоченности. Мы сочли это полезной идеей, поскольку рассчитываем, что она поможет вам подготовить конкретные ответы на все наши предложения и внести свои контрпредложения, если у вас таковые есть. We believed that to be a very All right, so you can see there the meeting between Sergei Lavrov and U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken getting underway in Geneva, Switzerland right now. Let's, let's go into the CNBC Newsline. Financial Times Moscow Bureau Chief Max Seddon joining us now. Max, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Incredibly important meeting there. Uh, what do we expect to occur, if anything? What kind of action may be taken? Well, to be honest, it's a, a miracle that this meeting is, is happening at all, because just a week ago, Russia said that the talks had ran into a, a dead end and said they didn't see any point in having any any more meetings. And uh, the U.S. is doing all it's can to uh, all it can to try to keep diplomacy on the table. But the fact is that both sides know that the what Russia is proposing is something that is unthinkable for uh, the U.S. and its uh, NATO allies to to accept. And it's very hard to see where they're going to find any common ground on what Russia is demanding. What is the possible best outcome of this meeting? Well, this week, Russia has been a little more conciliatory than they were last week. What What, what they're demanding is essentially rewriting the entire European security order. So uh, the, the U.S. and NATO would have to pledge to never admit Ukraine, uh, to uh, pledge never to expand uh, in the direction of Russia ever again, and to withdraw all their forces from, from Eastern Europe. And more, more recently, uh, the deputy foreign minister of Russia, who's the lead negotiator of these talks, we saw him wearing a mask next to Lavrov uh, just now, he said that Russia would be willing to uh, accept some sort of uh, compromise where, for example, uh, the U.S. would pledge uh, not not to vote for Ukraine to join the alliance. But there are other compromise solutions that have been floated, such as a 10 or 20 year moratorium on Ukraine joining NATO, which is not going to do anytime soon anyway. And Russia has rejected that. So it's uh, Russia is still saying, you know, this is not a menu. This is uh, a unified set of demands. And you have to either accept them or you have to face the consequences. And they haven't said what those are. Yeah, President Biden being forced to clarify some comments he made in that press conference on Wednesday about what might happen if Russia were to go into Ukraine. Uh, how close is this to an actual incursion, invasion, or perhaps an all-out war? I think we're closer than we ever have been before, because even if these talks were, were happening, Russia started sending more troops to the border. They now have 36 uh, Iskander uh, missile launchers within within striking distance of of Kiev. They've announced major exercises in the Black Sea and with Belarus. They're sending troops and units from as far away as the far east of Russia, all the way on the on the Pacific Ocean. And the the reality is that if if, if Russia moves uh, towards towards open warfare, their air capabilities 
uh, are are vastly superior to, to Ukraine. So they can achieve a lot by by just using airstrikes, that sending a single uh, soldier or tank over the border. And there's not really a lot that Ukraine can do about it. Yeah, and the world is waiting, it is watching, and it is hopefully, certainly, that is not the outcome. Max Sennett of the Financial Times. Max, we appreciate your view. Thank you very much. We are monitoring that meeting there between Secretary of State Blinken and his Russian counterpart in Geneva. Incredibly important uh, potential outcome there. Max, thank you very much. All right, in the meantime, let's get back down to the markets and your money and get a check on what is happening in Europe. Certainly their markets have not only been impacted by this, but by the spike in gas and energy costs that are associated with it. CBC's Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom now with more. And there's a lot of red on that screen behind you, Rosanna. It's a great big warning sign, Brian. Like you said, Russia is one of those elements. But of course, the Fed, the next week's meeting, the rising rate environment, all of that is having a play on this. I mean, who started this sell-off? Was it the US? Was it Asia? Certainly, Europe is inheriting a very weak lead from Asia. We've got the stocks Europe 600 down by around one and three-tenths of a percent here. You're seeing sell-offs across a broad range of sectors, pretty much every sector you can think of. Let's take a look at how the individual bosses have been shaping up so far in this Friday session. And thank goodness, it is Friday, but not for traders here in Europe. The FTSE 100 down by around nine-tenths of a percent. Cat Cajonte off by around one and three-tenths. The Ibex in Spain it has been the laggard of the session so far. It's just regained a little bit of ground now. The Exextradax in Germany, though, that now taking the lead, if you like, as the laggard. But I want to bring you across some of the biggest uh, winners and losers of the session so far. Particularly interesting is this story with Siemens. We've seen some wild swings in the session so far. What's happening here is Siemens Energy now off by around 13%, has cut its forecast. This because Siemens Gamesa has had supply chain issues when it comes to its solar, it's sort of rather its wind energy. Uh, so that is really playing down. It's dragging that down by around 11%, and it's increasing calls for Siemens Energy to overtake that unit. Elsewhere, what you're seeing, we've got a couple of tech stocks up here for you. Delivery Hero, Wise, Logitech, all of this, of course, paying into this pandemic recovery story. You want to pick these ones out, of course, with what is happening in tech uh, States, I'll hand that over to you now to talk a little bit more. Uh, Rosanna Lockwood there. Yeah, a lot of, lot of red on the screen, maybe anecdotally, about 95% of those stocks are in the red. Rosanna, thank you very much. All right, now let's get down to this morning's top corporate story and your biggest money mover, and that is shares of Netflix. And they are getting slammed right now. We are not using that kind of language lightly. Netflix stock is down more than 100 dollars per share right now and it is now back to the same price level it was in the summer of 2018 in other words nearly four years of gains wiped out now everybody is pointing fingers this morning at things like weak guidance and slowing growth but is there more at work here now at these levels the stock could be facing its worst day since july of 2012 hard to believe it's even had a worst day Arjun Karpal joining us now with more on Netflix. Arjun, what happened to Netflix? Well, Brian, look, coming into this Q4 print, expectations were so high. Netflix had set the market up for growth. They had backloaded their content to the back end of the year. Things like Red Notice, the film by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. There was still craze around things like Squid Game. And so the market was expecting a much better print on those paid net ads than actually came through. And then on top of that, there was weak Q1 guidance. The company expecting 2.5 million net ads in Q1, again saying that a lot of the content has been pushed out to later on in the year. And that 
did not uh, make the market happy at all. And of course, you remember that Netflix was a big beneficiary of this stay at home play. People stuck in lockdowns at home, uh, binging on Netflix. They saw a big gain in their stock price and users because of that. And what effectively happened is they may have drawn forward uh, some of that user growth that perhaps would have come over the next one to three years. And so now those expectations are very high. And on top of that, you have another element. And this is a big one, competition. What was interesting is management kept trying to play down the competition. Co-CEO Reed Hastings saying, well, look, uh, the likes of Amazon and Hulu, they've been around for about 14 years. But what I'd argue is, what, what is different now is these are companies that are coming to the market with big budgets, big blockbusters. You think about Amazon series with the Lord of the Rings coming up as well. They're coming to the market with quality content to challenge Netflix now in a bigger way that has done in the past. And you're really starting to see uh, those companies uh, really make a dent here for Netflix consumers with a lot of choice. And so the market's looking at now. How much will Netflix spend? What impact will that have on margin? And can the company continue, Brian, to grow those users throughout the rest of the year? That is going to be an absolutely very rough day for Netflix stockholders, down more than $100 per share. Arjun Karpal in London. Arjun, thank you very much. All right, now let's get to another big story. Stock and a developing story and one that began with a report right here from CNBC. Let's send it over now to Bertha Coombs for the latest on Peloton, another stay-at-home stock that is breaking bad this morning. Bertha. Yeah, Breaking Bad is, is uh, really an understatement, Brian. Shares of Peloton trying to rebound in the pre-market after falling nearly 24% yesterday on a report by our Lauren Thomas at CNBC.com that the company plans to halt production of its bikes and treadmills amid waning demand. In all, Peloton saw some $2.5 billion in market valuation wiped off the books by yesterday's close. This morning's potential rebound coming amid several new developments. Number one, an internal note to company employees seen by the Wall Street Journal, CEO John Foley saying, quote, the information the media has obtained is incomplete, out of context, and not reflective of Peloton's strategy. Foley adding the company has identified who leaked the information and is, quote, moving forward with the appropriate legal action. Foley's comments to staff come after Peloton reported preliminary fiscal second quarter revenue guidance after the close yesterday, saying sales should be in line with previous estimates. The company says it also is taking, quote, a significant corrective or, or rather significant corrective actions looking for new ways to slash costs and improve profitability, which could include layoffs and production adjustments. Brian, yesterday's slide brought the stock beneath its September 2019 IPO price of $29. And, you know, I remember being there for that IPO. And as we were waiting for the stock to open, I commented uh, growing up in my house, we had a stationary bike and it was my mom's purse rack. You know, I think some folks are now starting to get back out there. They want to get out of their homes and they might be moving away. Although, you know, there are plenty of folks who are devoted, but maybe there are just so many of them. Yeah, and you know, if you're paying that, what is it, 40 bucks a month for your subscription, I guess you're going to get on the bike and, and Peloton doesn't care. I mean, they probably want you on that bike. But once you stop paying that subscription, the bike, to your point, kind of becomes a paperweight. Uh, and you wonder how many people are choosing to do that and get back to the gym as the pandemic winds down.
Yeah, well, and for a lot of folks, they are buying it now sort of on that installment plan. They tried to make it more accessible so you don't actually have to pay for the whole bike up front or the treadmill. You pay month to month. If they decide to send it back, I guess they lose a deposit, but, you know, that's revenue that's going to be gone. Yeah, that has been just an absolutely gut punch to Peloton shareholders as well, going back to multi-year lows. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, let's expand this out and get more to the broader markets globally in your money. And in this recent weakness comes a rather dire warning from Jeremy Grantham. Jeremy Grantham, of course, the famous Boston-based investor. And in a note to clients, he says the U.S. is near the end of a, quote, super bubble following the massive stimulus during the pandemic. And he says, get this, the S&P 500 could fall 45 percent. Grant the Mads, quote, we are in what I think of as the vampire phase of the bull market, where you throw everything you have at it. You stab at it with COVID. You shoot it with the end of quantitative easing and you poison it with unexpected inflation. And still the creature flies. A little bizarre. But he says that is until just as you are beginning to think the thing is completely immortal, it finally and perhaps a little anticlimactically, keels over and dies. The sooner the better for everyone. Wow, must have been reading some Anne Rice lately. Joining us now to talk about this and more, Seema Shaw, Chief Strategist at Principal Global Investors. Seema, I don't know if you're a fan of vampire novels, The Vampire Lestat, uh, or Jeremy Grantham, but do you see any way the S&P 500 falls 45%. Hi, Brian. Yeah, those were some very strong words. Um, <clears throat> we are not of that mindset. We think um, look, things are inevitably going to become more challenging this year with the, the interest rate hikes um, and inflation elevated for the time being. Uh, but the thing which is really key um, to keep equity markets going, keep risk assets going, is that you have to have that solid economic backdrop. Um, you need to have earnings growth, earnings delivery is absolutely key from here. And I have to say, when we look at the global growth environment, we look at the U.S., we do still feel quite confident that we're going to be seeing above trend growth even this year. So that would be a no. I mean, you know, exactly. you don't have to be wildly bullish, but, but a 45 percent drop, with all due respect to Mr. Grantham and his vampire metaphors, seems in your, by the way, just in your playbook, a little bit out of the book. It does. Look, we're not anticipating returns, equity market returns, to be as strong as what we saw last year. That's that's for sure. Um, but we are still expecting positive returns. They're going to be more modest, but importantly, they're still positive. We do think that, you know, there are going to be parts of the market that struggle this year. Um, and this is where we need to start thinking a little bit more about what is driving the market. What are the key concerns and challenges? Where are they going to be coming from? And when we think about it from that perspective, actually, the emphasis becomes more on quality. A little bit more defensive, but really on quality. Which are the companies that have, again, the strong balance sheets, the positive cash flows, which have the earnings delivery and also have the business models that will continue to perform <clears throat> even as these conditions become more and more difficult over the coming years? Uh, do you see the market rising this year? In the, and I'm speaking about the U.S. macro stock market. Forget about a 45% drop, Seema. Okay, we've established that's a no do you think we'll make gains this year or will it be a year 
of very muted returns after what has been a number of good years. Then we are going to see gains, but they're not going to be as high as last year. The other thing to consider is that there is going to be a lot of volatility. Um, so I would expect a lot of headlines which are going to be um, at moments quite frightening, but we have to keep a view on what are those underlying fundamentals and maybe start taking a slightly longer term view um, because that's going to be key. Otherwise, investors are going to keep being whipsawed here and there and you can end up um, losing out on potential gains by stepping out of the market, probably some of the worst moments. Where is the best place to put any new money to work right now around the world? Emerging markets? Is it the U.S.? Is it somewhere else? We continue to like the U.S. because of that more quality defensive area. Uh, we know that big tech is challenged, clearly, uh, but we do think that there are opportunities within specific sectors, maybe slightly more cyclical. But we have to say the growth value style question is probably out of the book at this stage. And it's really about focusing on those company fundamentals. Principal global investors, strategist Seema Shaw, not a fan of vampires and not a fan of 45% market declines. Seema, we appreciate your views. Happy Friday. Have a good weekend. We will see you again soon. Thank you. All right, and when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, we have much more on Netflix and why our next guest calls it nothing short of a disaster. Plus, did somebody know something ahead of time? John Najarian is here looking at some unusual and, shall we say, very timely options trades in Peloton. But before that, is a big-time baby boom on the way? Morgan Stanley on some new super trends that may be headed your way. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning. And if you need some, here's a little good news. A new report from Morgan Stanley says that a new boom may be on the way, and it will be driven by a couple of things, like big gains in pay and even a possible baby boom. For more, let's bring in Vijay Chandar, head of thematic investing at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. They put out a recent report on what they call new megatrends. I love the report, VJ. I read it with interest. Thank you very much for coming on the program to talk more about it. Uh, we need, as a nation, I think a little good news. And let's start on one of the major themes that you see, and that is wage. I know there's inflation. I get that. And it's going to eat into some of it. But overall, 
there's some major wage gains happening in the United States. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. And so what we highlight in the report is really two factors that we think could contribute to a multi-year trend that's positive for the U.S. consumer. The first is right where you started, which is strong wage gains creating one of the strongest financial capacities to spend that we've seen in U.S. households, perhaps in recent history. The second, which is closely related, is demographics. You know, as millennials age through the population, that's going to create some opportunities, particularly for those subsectors that have exposure to that millennial spend. Now, I just want to make one caveat, which is in the near term, as we think about the next three or six months, there's going to be a lot of noise out there, right? We're anniversarying stimulus from last year. We're going to have rebalancing in the consumer away from goods and stay-at-home winners. But if we take a step back and think about what the next several years look like, households are in strong financial shape, demographics are positive, and we think that's going to lead to a multi-year mega trend in the U.S. consumer. And what's that going to result in? Is that going to result in people getting on planes, going to Vegas, buying new clothes, or maybe D, all the above? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's a combination, right? And so as we think about 2022 and the next several years, I think in both the near term and the intermediate term, there's going to be opportunities around travel and leisure, right? We're all pent up. We have that pent up demand, but hopefully we have a real reopening in the economy this year. If you think about the demographic picture, though, on that side, we know that millennials prioritize experiences over things, so that should be supportive for several years. But at the elder age of the age spectrum, we have retiring baby boomers who should benefit from a strong wealth effect uh, that also may you know, participate in, in that type of travel. Um, two other opportunities we like specifically related to millennials, companies that are facilitating commerce in a way that millennials want to be engaged with. So omni-channel, yeah, e-commerce, as well as those companies that provide the infrastructure, the platforms for things like digital and direct-to-consumer. And then the third area we highlight as a potential opportunity is the obvious one, and that is housing. We have a very tight housing market today. We think we could have several years of demand as millennials continue to age, and that should be constructive. Let's talk about that because millennials, the older ones, they're not kids anymore. Some of them are nearly 40. And you know what happens? You live in a one-bedroom in Manhattan. You're feeling pretty good. You're married. Then you buy a three-bedroom house in the suburbs, and I'm speaking from experience, VJ. And then you know what you do? You try to make babies, and you build a family to fill up those bedrooms. And one of my predictions for this year, nobody cares what I think, but I want you to comment on it, was that I think we are going to have a baby boom, in the whether it's the pandemic, lockdown, love, or whatever you want to call it. I think there's going to be a demographic shift and a baby boom maybe for years I read that in your report as well. Do you see a lot of little ones on the way, which will drive spending? Because when you have a kid, as our viewers know, you spend a lot of money. Absolutely. It's a great point. And if we just think about where we are, the oldest millennials turned 40 during the pandemic. Millennials are 80 million strong. We've seen household formation pick up. To your point, what happens after households form? You tend to start seeing, you know, births rise. I'll say from an economic standpoint, what should get us excited about this is we know throughout the course of of history, folks in their 40s and 50s tend to be the highest spenders. And so as we have those first millennials entering their 40s, we could have a decade or even more ahead of us where we actually have a tailwind from consumption demographically. It's been a while since we've been able to say that, right? Really going back to the 80s and 90s, and that should be quite constructive. VJ Chandar, Morgan Stanley Wealth Management with the consumer mega trends. We like it. Maybe a baby boom, a spending boom, a wage boom. It does feel like the roaring 20s, maybe two years delayed, 
are finally starting to get here. VJ, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. On deck, off the rails. Why shares of rail company CSX are coming loose despite a pretty hefty fourth quarter beat. We'll get that. Your other big money movers coming up. Stock futures, they are mildly in the green for the Dow. Fingers crossed. By the way, a big options day overall as well today. And we're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Well, good Friday morning for everybody but Netflix investors. That stock down $100 per share as it sends out a big warning. Two years ago, we were $10 million above plan, which was a shock. You know, uh, last year we were $10 million below, you know, or $9 million. Um, and so, you know, the pull forward sort of, you know, makes it hard to read. Plus, crypto crumbling, Bitcoin dropping nearly 10% in just the past 24 hours, back below 40K. And now Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sees a path to slowing inflation. But is she right? It is Friday, January 21st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Grab another cup of coffee. There is a lot going on right now. Let us jump right back into the markets and your money and stock futures. They are holding a bit steady this morning. We are not seeing the selling that took off in the late day yesterday follow through, at least not with the Dow. The Dow futures are slightly higher. NASDAQ futures, though, and of course, that is the one to watch. Big tech runs the show. We get that. NASDAQ futures, they are down just a touch, a couple of tenths of 1%. So not a huge trend today. One thing I also want to note, by the way, is that today is a big-time options day. There is a lot of options expiry in stocks like Tesla and the macro markets. We'll get more with John Nigerian in a few minutes. But just so you know, with this, a lot of what they call the gamma trade, which may come unwound today, a little complicated, but... Could see, could, not saying we will, but could see a lot of volatility in today's session. Just something to pay attention to. Also this, a big warning from a big name investor. In a note to clients, Jeremy Grantham says that stocks 
are in what he calls a super bubble, and they will crash. Grantham says that right now is only the fourth time that we have been in this kind of a bubble. He names 1929, 2000, and 2008, and sees a 45% drop in the S&P 500. Do you agree with him? Let us know what you think. Well, bonds not necessarily reflecting doom and gloom right now, unless you count inflation as maybe being a doom on the market. And it could be 10-year yields actually are lower right now, down just below 1.8%. And let's also take a look at mortgage rates, because I'm guessing that most of you watching or listening probably are not professional bond traders. But you probably do either own a home, want to own one, or have some kind of debt. And interest rates, they are on the rise and right quick. This is from Mortgage News Daily. The average 30-year fixed rate mortgage loan has jumped a full half percent in just three weeks. And it is up nearly a full percent from its lows of just last summer. And with the moving yields, that is likely to keep going higher. Just something to keep in the back of your noggin there. By the way, speaking of housing... We're going to talk more about that maybe the next couple of days as well. All right, let's move on if we can, and and we certainly can here. And we continue to watch action in crypto down sharply this morning as Bitcoin hits its lowest level since August, trading below 40,000 bucks. A lot of red on the screen now with the big ones there. Ether, Litecoin, all down. Some of the smaller ones have done well the last few weeks, but the big name ones, they have been falling and falling in some cases pretty hard to start the year. All right, now let's get some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha, what is on your watch list? Brian, let's start with Intel, the chip maker announcing plans to build two new chip manufacturing uh, factories in Ohio outside of Columbus. The company will spend at least $20 billion to build the plants, which will employ about 3,000 people. The announcement marks the largest private sector investment in Ohio's history, with construction slated to begin late this year. Production is expected to come online there in 2025. Intel CEO will join CNBC live at 8.15 Eastern this morning. You'll want to watch that. Meantime, TikTok is testing a paid subscription model. Video creators would be able to charge people to view content. Earlier this week, rival Instagram announced that it was trying out its own subscription service. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is defending President Biden's economic record one year into his term. And on the hot topic of inflation, she says there is a path to slower levels. If we're successful in controlling the pandemic, um, I expect inflation to diminish over the course of the year and um, hopefully to revert to um, normal levels by the end of the year, around 2 percent. Brian, back over to you. Yeah, as I tweeted last night, I will take the over on that 2% number, with all due respect to the Treasury mm-hmm. Secretary and former Fed Chair uh, Yellen, I just, it, it seems hard to see, Bertha, how that's going to come down. No prices have come down in the last couple of months. I, we'll see what happens, Bertha. Thank you. 
All right. Well, now to this morning's top story and Netflix. That stock is down more than 20% or more than $100 a share right now. And back to trading at levels not seen since April of 2020. In fact, some cases back to 2018, wiping out four years of gains. Now, the company announcing it pulled in 8.3 million subscribers, but that's a slowdown from the 8.5 million it added in the fourth quarter of last year. It also issued a disappointing first quarter outlook. Co-CEO Reed Hastings on the earnings call last night saying because of the outsized number of signups at the beginning of the pandemic, subscriber growth is getting more difficult to predict. Listen. Two years ago, we were 10 million above plan, which was a shock. You know, uh, last year we were 10 million below, you know, or 9 million. Um, and so, you know, the pull forward sort of you know, makes it hard to read. You know, there's a number of, you know, potential explanations in COVID, but then we worry about hanging too much on that. Um, you know, there's more competition than there's ever been, but, you know, we've had Hulu and Amazon for 14 years, so it doesn't feel like any qualitative change there. All right, let's bring in Joel Kalina, head of technology and media trading at Wedbush Securities. Joel, uh, the numbers weren't great, I mean, but they didn't seem like they were disaster. Does the stock deserve, maybe deserves got nothing to do with it, as they say, uh, but should it be down 100 bucks a share right now? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. What, what a day, right? Um, I mean, arguably, yes. I mean, I think you're seeing it in other, other names as well, especially those high-flying pandemic winners. And if Netflix is square into that bucket. You know, look at Peloton. You know, obviously, you guys broke this story yesterday. You know, DocuSign's had a tremendous fall. Zoom Media has been in a death spiral. So Netflix is no different. And uh, yeah, the guy obviously missed by a mile. And I think I think the concerns, listening to Reed Hastings, who's very obviously one of the most accomplished CEOs of, of, of our generation, um, he sounds a little, he doesn't really, he, he's admitting not only the competition forces finally kind of creeping in, but he also said it's tough to pinpoint why acquisitions are slowing. So Usually you expect confidence from, from them, and, and clearly they're struggling with kind of uncertainty around churn trends, um, what, the, what the competition is doing as well. And I think that's a big issue. And now Netflix, you could argue, is now just turning into like a low double-digit grower, and that's obviously pressuring the multiple and, and the valuation, and that's, that's the biggest issue for the stock right now. Yeah, but you just said it. It's still a grower. This is not a, a company that is in decline. This is still a growing company. And I get sure. it. It's not growing anywhere near the pace, obviously, investors wanted or maybe the multiple sort of commanded. But it is still growing. Why have investors seemed to give up on Netflix? Yeah, that's kind of been, well, it's not, I don't think it's just Netflix as well, but it is the story of tech over the past several months. I mean, clearly the number one headwind is still the withdrawal of unprecedented amount of stimulus, which has been thrown at the, at the, at the world economy because of, of, of the global pandemic. And, and we're seeing that, that process kind of unwind right now. And, and Netflix wasn't cheap. It was trading north of 45 times earnings. Um, and, and again, we all know their content slate is still king of the hill. But again, people want to see more. Um, and, and clearly costs are facing inflationary pressures in terms of, the, uh, of producing content. And, uh, you know, really they didn't touch much on gaming, but that remains a big area of focus for the part of the growth story. And we know, looking at Microsoft Activision deal from, from early in the week, it's going to take a lot of money if they do expect to become a real player in gaming as well. And other than the subwiff, don't forget, operating margin target came in 300 basis points below the street as well. So there's a lot of moving parts here. 
And, and, and I think right now, stock's probably dead money because I just don't see a catalyst in the near term until you see a, a return of growth of, of, of subscribers, uh, you know, hopefully in, in, in the more developed regions, which, which come with a higher ARPU. But it does feel like we're, we're, we're getting to the point of very uh, extreme satura- saturation in its key markets of, of North America and, and Western Europe. Yeah, that ARPU average revenue per user. Hopefully, they're they're, ra- they're raising r- prices, so hopefully they're obviously looking to add to that. But that stock just been a brutal story in the last couple of months, and, and today no different. Joel Kalina, Wedbush Show. We love your insight as always. Thank you. I know you're gonna have a busy day. We'll let you get to it. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Down more than a hundred. Thank you. Very welcome. All right, down more than a hundred bucks a share. All right, coming up, your morning big money movers, including. Shares of Peloton on a wild ride. Dr. J is here to lay out what happened in the options trade ahead of it. And your morning RBI with some of the massive numbers Goldman Sachs sees around the work-from-home trend. You won't believe some of these figures. Dow futures, they're mildly higher. NASDAQ down a bit. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, no insider buying on this Friday. There are blackouts during earnings season. So today, you get a bonus RBI. And today's most random and interesting thing is about the pandemic and productivity and how the American work economy has changed so dramatically for millions of folks who are lucky enough or able to work from home. And it's important to remember that. As much attention as work from home gets, it is still probably only about 20% of the American workforce. But that is still enough to make some insanely big changes to things like productivity and the use of capital. Goldman Sachs out with a note saying the changes to the American workforce and business model may be bigger than you ever imagined. Look at these numbers. Goldman says that this shift in how we work has resulted in 600 million fewer hours commuting every month. That is 7.2 billion commuting hours gotten back every year because people are trading jobs up for better ones. There may be a need for nearly one and a half million jobs and things like cashiers, in-person store salespeople and office maintenance staff, they go away as more people move up in the workforce. And when you work from home, no doubt you've got a lot of computing power. And Goldman Sachs says that could equal 300 billion in consumer IT equipment. And get this, an incredible $900 billion worth of home offices now set up for business use. In other words, the stuff that your company would buy, now you're buying. Think about the implications of that. Even if it doesn't last forever, companies can have huge savings on things like real estate. They don't have to buy as much IT gear because now you've got it at home. And you are saving hundreds on gasoline or commuter train or bus fares and getting hundreds of hours of your life back. Does that sound like a win-win to you? It probably does. And maybe, just maybe, corporate America might reluctantly agree to it as well. We'll see. Some big numbers. Hopefully random, but interesting. We'll be right back. All right, good Friday morning. It is 5.50, and we want to give you a check on futures after what has been a very rough start to the year for the markets. Dow futures, they're holding steady. They're up just a touch. NASDAQ futures, though, that's the one to watch. They're down three-tenths of 1%. There's a lot of options expiring today. 
We'll get more with John and Jerry in right after this. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It is safe to say that the stay-at-home trade, like Elvis, has left the building. And as the pandemic seems to be winding down, hopefully, fingers crossed, so is the pandemic-related trade. Names like Netflix, Zoom, DocuSign, and others have been creamed. Peloton, too, also on a CNBC report that is halting production on some products. But that apparently did not halt options traders from making some big-time bets on Peloton. And some of those bets apparently... Very well-timed. Let's bring in our friend John Najarian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, CNBC contributor. And, and John, I guess sometimes you just get it right. You just get lucky. But man, there were a lot of options trades on Peloton just kind of right before the news broke. Yeah, exactly right, Brian. Uh, Lauren Thomas, uh, CNBC reporter, did a great job ferreting out some information about uh, the reduction or stoppage of treadmills and bikes for a period of time because inventories were just too large. And inventories of options started just exploding, Brian, at about uh, just 15 minutes before the halftime report came off the air yesterday. Uh, we noted that there was a huge build of put buying. Puts are, of course, the right to sell. And that was with the stock at 31 bucks Within a heartbeat, it was $26, and then 25 24 23 You get the idea. Those puts went deep in the money, and uh, millions of dollars were made on that drop by the people that had that information early, Brian. Yeah, I mean, pretty spectacular options trades, maybe well-timed, I don't know. I mean, I will be fair and say this. The <laughs> insiders at Peloton, the CEO and others, have been selling as well. For months, I mean, dumping hundreds of millions of stock. Yep. And when you've got that going on and you've got speculation that uh, demand is down for the coat hanger in the closet, uh, which Peloton bikes just like Nordic track before them, that's kind of what they become. If people aren't using it, if they're going back to the gyms and back to work, um, then those devices aren't nearly in as much demand and perhaps secondary market. Um, they're being sold on, you know, uh, Craigslist or whatever, Brian. But that was really well-timed activity yesterday. And it more or less triggered the market. It seemed that the market rolled over right like that as that news broke because people just kind of decided to pull back. We had a very nice rally underway, as you've been saying all morning, and that just vaporized. Yeah, talk to us about the overall setup. I was reading on Spot Gamma and some other sites, John, about just there's, a, there's about $100 billion of notional options that are due to expire today. Things like Tesla, uh, Kathy Wood's ARC. In fact, I think it's more than 100% of sort of their adjusted daily value on Tesla. Uh, deep out of the money calls that were bought months ago expiring today. Do you think there could be then more volatility in the equity market because of that? Well, what I was really watching, Brian, yesterday was uh, the volume of stock and options trading um, and seeing whether or not on a rally that we had up until noon yesterday, uh, that whether or not we would see that volume build, because the last time we had a pretty significant rally, the volume was just not there. The volume was building. And to your point, out of the money calls and puts that expired today, definitely a lot of speculation there. But 
Then when we rolled over, the volume exploded and we got to nearly 50 million option contracts from an average of about 43 million. So um, to us, that says that uh, speculation is fading right now and hopefully a bounce is getting close, Brian. Well, maybe that's what caused a lot of the volatility that we saw this week was people positioning equity on the back of their options positions and sort of hedging that. John Najarian, always love your insights. Super valuable, my friend. Have a great Friday and a good weekend. Take care. Thank you, John. Think about it, folks. We've talked about it a lot. Options, market structure, a lot of those options trades expiring today. Maybe this week the volatility was because of that. Either way, who knows? It's Friday. Have a great rest of your day. we got a lot more coverage coming up. Futures mixed. Down, NASDAQ futures down just a bit. I'll see you on Monday. Have a spectacular weekend. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.